support animal species i think it's really fucked up when people are like you can't have an emotional support armadillo why not really yes i think it gets out of hand like when it can't like maybe like a flamingo Uh, you think okay so why an armadillo why is an armadillo okay but a flamingo isn't i think i think you're being speciesist no because i think it needs to fit within the boundaries of something that you can somewhat control. Okay, okay. I don't think you can control a flamingo. I think they're too big. How much do you know about domesticating armadillos? I know so much. I was going to say, this is dangerous. I don't know. I don't know if I feel comfortable with these distinctions you're drawing. They seem arbitrary. I bring this up because there's a man in Michigan who is applying for a permit to allow him to keep his emotional support coyote named Drifter. But what is he, is he trying to take the coyote on the plane? He is just trying to keep him. It says he's trying to regain custody of a young coyote that has become his emotional support animal. And he says this animal is a dog in the coyote's body. Isn't a coyote a dog? Or is it like a fox? or A coyote is a coyote. Mm, I don't know. I feel like if that coyote identifies as a dog... This guy should be allowed to have it. I think there should be a specific task force dedicated to make sure of the welfare... Of the animals that are chosen by humans as support, as support animals. animals to make sure that that's a symbiotic relationship. So a task force to monitor the safety of emotional support canines. Bingo. Sounds like a stressful job. Sounds like they might need emotional support animals. Do you see? This is a slippery slope. It's not a slippery slope. Where does it end in Obama's America? Oh my God. Welcome to the ninth episode of... The, the manic, manic episodes. episodes. So don't... I wanted to say it at the same time. You try, Well, you you didn't, and now we sound like unprofessional ding-dongs. <laughs> um, but... We're on episode nine? We are on episode nine. That's and we so run great. a really tight ship here. We do. And we wouldn't be able to run this tight ship without our shipmates. Those are our Patreon supporters. Yeah. And, um, wow, am I hallucinating? Because my mind is very active with lies about these people. Oh, yeah. I can't, Yeah, I heard some real fucked up shit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We, there's some, it's time to tell our lies about our Patreon supporters. So if not, you... You're not supposed to have heard it. You're supposed to imagine I've it. I've heard these things about these people. That's another lie. Are you always lying? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you donate to our Patreon and become a monthly donor, uh-huh. a monthly donut, you a get monthly donut. It, it's $15 a month, I think, minimum. Yes. To get a lie about, to get a lie every, about every you every episode. Some of these some of these folks are to their like fifth and sixth lies now. Yeah, I think some incredible things have happened to Mo and Sarah. I mean, it is a <laughs> what a joy. <laughs> Speaking of Mo, I want to shout her out before we move on to our lies. Um, because Mo has started and is maintaining an awesome Facebook group. I 
personally check in on it every single day. It's called the Manic Fam. There's an adorable survey that you have to like fill out to see if you are really in the Manic Fam. And Mo is under no obligation to continue doing this, but she has been posting some really good thought provoking questions and starting some really fun discussions. And she's been doing it what with like 10 mostly silent members. (laughs) Do you know how hard it is? As a teacher, I can tell you this feeling of screaming into the void (laughs) every day. Man, guys, fill that void. There's some great conversations there. Join the Manic Fam. Yeah, like if you if you feel like, oh man, I really enjoyed this episode's discussion, and I want to talk about it, or you want yeah. other people that listen to yeah to us and our manic enthusiasts, manic mani- mania, 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 mani- man- mania manics. Um, mania fanatics, manic fanatics, manic fanatics. Uh, wow, there we go. This, okay, I like it. On the pod, giving birth to the stuff. Yes. Um, so why don't you give birth to the... Mm, uh, I was thinking of a good segue. Uh, join the man... <laughs> so join the group. If you join the group and say, Wyatt sent me here... I will choose one of those weird Facebook stickers that usually only like old people accidentally post um, in the comments of like racist articles. I'll send you one of those (laughs) and um, I will tell you um, one of my favorite foods. Is that comp- that's not compelling to anybody in the world? I think that's cool. I want. I'm gonna join now. Yeah, please do. Wyatt sent you. All right, let's lie. Okay, I'm going first. Okay. I've been listening back to the pod. I defer to you a lot. And it's time for me to <laughs> take charge. Take honey. up some space. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Okay. <laughs> I'll go first only if you're okay with it. I really don't have to. I don't... <laughs> Please go first. So these are our patrons. Amazing folks, every single one of them. So Amanda made the very mature decision to um, formally leave the royal family this week. Oh, That's- that is, I mean, that's really bold. It's a tough call to make. You got to do it. And I fully support it. Me too. Um, yesterday, actually, I was watching the news and I saw that Bobby did something just absolutely insane. What? Uh, there was a meteor headed <laughs> uh-huh. straight for the earth. Wow. And, and he was able to stop it with his mind. So, oh my God. So he's doing like a whole press circuit, understandably. I mean, so, he's yeah. saved us all. I know. The power of the mind. I mean, for real. The power of the... I think it happens when you start listening to our podcast. It's mind expanding. Yeah. I've got one. Cosette was just elected president of the American Spaghetti Association. (gasps) What an honor. I know. So for any pasta related bureaucratic questions, you know who to call. I'm imagining a little pin that's like a little spaghetti and meatballs. That's cute. Is the flying spaghetti monster still a thing? I don't know, but I, that was pretty amazing. I loved it. Yeah. I, I had, my sister got me a t-shirt. I may or may not have worn it in public, not to brag. <laughs> Go ahead, honey. Uh, well, I'm just tickled pink. Uh, Chicoa did something <laughs> just kind of mir- miraculous. Uh-huh. They painted an exact replica of Picasso's Guernica. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> For any reason? No. God just bless on it. on a whim. Just for the love of the game. Yeah. Well, how about this? Emma was adopted by a family of dolphins. Oh, no. Or, wait, adopted Uh-oh. a family of dolphins? Oh. Dang it, I can't read my own handwriting. Either way, wonderful news. Yeah, great news, great yeah. news. Mm-hmm. Part of a dolphin family. Sure. Couldn't ask mm-hmm. for more. Yeah. 
Um, c- congratulations to Dana. I'm sure you heard about this. She won her first dressage <gasps> oh. competition. <laughs> Wait, is it is dressage? That, d- dressage. Dressage. Yeah. Is that, yeah. That's the weird fancy horseback riding. Yes. Do you know the only reason I know that? Why? Mitt Romney. Talked about Mitt, Mitt Romney when he was a candidate for president in 2012. Yes. No, 2008 was John McCain. 2012 was Mitt Romney. It was. And he did dressage. And I remember hearing about it. And at first I heard it and I thought it was like some weird sex thing. No. Because it sounds like it, doesn't it? It does. It sounds like you're getting dressed. No, yeah, no. So, so it's a cool horse thing. Yeah. So Dana. Good for Dana. Dressage competition. Excellent. And I love it. I'm a grown up horse girl myself. Oh my God. Congratulations, Dana. That What finesse. Mm-hmm. All aboard. Catherine is now training to be a train conductor that transports trains for wedding dresses and trainers for British athletes. Choo-choo! Congrats, Catherine. (laughs) Is that a a bridge too far? That was so good. Okay, uh, honey. Oh, what? This is totally true. What? This is about Mo. What is it? Mo come up comes up again? Yes, what? yes. They got their entire body covered in a neoclassical rendering of Italian food. <laughs> There's okay. I want you to keep a, keep tally. There have been two references to Italian food so far. <laughs> There's gonna be more. Um, I think. Whoa! What? Pammy thought she was growing tomatoes in the garden, but one of them started shuddering and emitting light. So it turns out it was a pokeball. Unless. <laughs> Unless that's not how Pokemon are born. Um, it's an exciting week for Hope. Uh, she actually climbed K2. Oh, my God. No training, just on a whim. I'm having the same reaction to all of these, I just realized, which is me going, oh, my God. Yeah, it's shocking. I mean, it's shocking, it's- yeah. Four. Becky shot a 63 at the U.S. Open at the Shinnecock Golf Course. That's seven under par. That's incredible. Beautiful. And that same day, Rex hit a 536-foot home run at the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. And that's a new record. Sawi'i. Whoa. <laughs> yes. I'm shocked. He pointed out of the ballpark like Babe Ruth and then, <laughs> and then just did it. <sighs> yep, exactly. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm personally really proud of Mia. Uh, she made the world's biggest gluten-free snickerdoodle. <laughs> wow. She broke all previous cookie records. I mean, that's, and I know that that one stood for a long time. Yeah, yep. Well, here's a quick story, honey. Mm-hmm. Trisha and I were on a flight to Chicago, and we were so bummed. Oh, why? Because Trisha had a middle seat. Oh God, that sucks. Yeah, and I, you know, I prefer the aisle because I have to pee every That's two right. or three minutes. Yeah. Yep. But guess what? The person who bought the aisle ticket didn't show up. <gasps> So we had the whole row to ourselves. Oh, what a great day! And the flight attendant walked up, and I thought that I recognized the flight attendant, and she said, "Can I get you something to drink?" It was Siri. <gasps> Shut up. And I asked. Small world. And I ordered. You know what I love to order on planes. Yeah. Tomato juice. Tomato juice. I ordered a tomato juice and she gave me the entire can. And you know how I feel about that. That is so generous. So, Trisha, I mean, slam dunk. We did it. Siri, thanks. Wow. How can I ever repay you? Yeah. Real real generosity going on. Um, it is a great day for the Olympic jousting team. <laughs> oh, They've just accepted Raquel and <gasps> Madeline as their team captains. Oh, this is a congratulations to the team for making an excection choice. They, you know what they are? They're good glue people. Yeah. They hold the whole team hold together. together. Locker room hold people. Hold Yep, yes. exactly. Yes. Check out the big brain on this listener. Okay. Moni did some archaeological... <laughs> archaeological... I love it! Noah's archaeological did. Oh... 
that works. Moni did some archaeological research and discovered the real story behind the mysterious structures of Stonehenge. Whoa. Big ancient giants were playing dominoes and had to leave <laughs> abruptly mid-game. Then Moni did some more digging at Stonehenge and uncovered an ancient pinball machine. Oh, wow. And I have to say this. Okay. The archaeological dig was a really big deal. The news was there. A whole big news crew. <laughs> and when Moni victoriously lifted the pinball machine from the supple earth... Jeez. Guess who was there to snap a few photos? Who? Christina. Oh, my God. Christina was there with her badass, super expensive camera, and she snapped a few photos of Moni. And, oh, shit. What? Moni is actually Christina's girlfriend, <gasps> and it's Christina's freaking birthday. Oh, my God. Happy so, birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to so happy for Vanessa and Shella. They just bought a vacation rental on the Puget Sound. Wow. It's a great Airbnb opportunity, but we, you know, it could be a disaster. Oh, uh-huh. It's, sure. It's a high-rise houseboat. <laughs> it's eight levels, and it's not structurally sound. But worth the novelty? <laughs> Probably not. Head for open waters, guys. I don't know. I, I tried to be cute. It didn't make any sense. You know, it's taking longer and longer to do these. And yes. I think that's a great sign. Yes. Because that means we've got lots of people who believe in us and believe yes. in this project. So thank you, guys. Thanks to all of you. And I have to, uh, more. Oh, great. Okay, one more. Lay it on me like a lead bib at the dentist. Talk about thrill seekers. <laughs> Sam and Sarah have decided to free dive <gasps> all the way to the Earth's core. Happy Stop. exploring, you crazy kids. Stop. You know what they might find? What? You were just looking at something about I this. I know. I'm so excited about this. Well, tell the people, unless this is one of your obsessions. No, it's not. But I was thinking about maybe it would be, but it's not. Okay. Um. So we have our oceans uh -huh. on the top of the earth. Sure. If you dig, 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 dig mm -hmm. down into the earth's core... There's an ocean in the Earth's fucking core. Love it. And it's bigger than all of the oceans combined. So Love they it. think that that's how oceans were made. Is it like a hot ocean? Uh, then I don't know. I mean, is it in like, is it like inside the magma core? I don't know, honey. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I want to drill down there. I want to drill down and go all the way to the other side and swim in that ocean with you. And I won't be happy until I do it. <laughs> So we're gay. Nah, speak for yourself. <laughs> okay, we're gay. You gave me another one of those looks that could just melt ice caps. I'm not gonna look at you. Okay. We wanted to talk about being bipolar today. And I feel like we've covered such a range of topics already, but I, you know, this has come up a couple times, like uh, questions that fans have had. I thought it would be really helpful if we talked about different treatments for bipolar disorder, what we've experienced, uh -huh. um, things that worked for us, things that didn't work for us. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to do like a little bit of history of bipolar disorder. Yeah. What we have unraveled a real, a real world here. <laughs> so there's a scene in Pee-wee's Big Adventure where he's, he's talking about this mystery he's trying to solve. And he says, he's, Mike, you're unraveling a big cable sweater. And someone just keeps knitting and knitting. <laughs> so that's what this reminds me of. The, the, the state of affairs with bipolar treatment mm -hmm. is definitely a huge cable knit sweater. Yep. We're trying to get to the bottom of it. 
but it seems like there's this big pit of unknowns opening up. I thought surely as just, you know, a civilian that the medical community and the psychiatric community knew what was going on. Oh no, they are absolutely just throwing things (laughs) against the wall to see what sticks. So true. Um, so I thought that I would give you a quiz about bipolar facts. Please. We want to get the lay of the land as far as this disorder is concerned, right? Yeah. What percentage, Mary, of the global population do you think is affected by bipolar disorder? I think like one one or two percent. You're right on the nose. One percent. Okay. Did you look at Wikipedia when I explicitly asked you not to? No. Okay, good. Um, We can stay together. (laughs) Um, what about in the United States? What percentage of people do you think are affected at some point in their oh, life? Oh, in the United States? Is it more? It's a little bit more. 5%? It's 3%. Okay. What about the most common age at which symptoms begin? I think 15. No, it's 25. <gasps> really? Yeah. And apparently that's the same for schizophrenia. Do you think that there is a statistically significant difference between the number of men and women who suffer from bipolar disorder? Uh, or enjoy every minute of it. Am I right? <laughs> I would assume that it's 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 right in half. But is it is it more? Is there are there more women affected? Rates appear to be similar in men and women. Mm. Do you think that men or women are more likely to experience rapid cycling? I would. I think women. Women. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Sadly, studies show that men suffering from bipolar disorder are less. Uh, easy to identify Mm. um, and less likely to seek treatment. Mm. Um, Women are more often diagnosed, but studies show that men and women are affected at similar rates. Mm. We have a a really, I guess a pretty rare disorder, right? Does that, I mean, it sounds like it. I don't know if 3% of the population is sizable. Yeah. A debilitating one, right? You can, it's definitely something that um, you could, you could go on disability for. Right. And one that, as we have both learned and experienced, very difficult to treat. Right. Yeah. And I think when, when we were doing research about this and you mentioned this earlier of just like how much it feels like psychs are, are stabbing in the dark. And to me, it just, it resonated with the whole narrative of my life, which is like, Oh, nobody knows what they're fucking talking about. And also we, we want to preface this episode with, obviously we're not doctors. Thank you. We're not doctors. We don't Mm. speak for yourself. Oh, that's right. You are a doctor. Right. Um, (laughs) but the last time I checked though, having a PhD in English does not qualify me (laughs) to speak about issues related to psychiatry. So neither one of us are doctors. This is not medical advice. Um, we bear absolutely no legal responsibility for anything that any of you decide to do. Um, but we are speaking from a place of experience. Yes. Um, we have done our research and our homework here. So we hope that maybe for some of you, this could lead you into at most, let's say having a conversation with your psych or, um, pursuing treatment options if you haven't Mm -hmm. already. Yes. Um, or maybe talking to a person in your life who has bipolar disorder with a newfound empathy. Right. So what did we find out? Oh, man. I found out a lot of weird stuff. Um, tell me what you find out. found out. Um, well, I found some, like, archaic stuff about how they used to treat bipolar disorder and the first sort of known case. Mm-hmm. And they used to call it, I forget what they used to call oh, it. Melancholia. Yeah, uh-huh. melancholia. Yeah, yep. Which is, like, kind of 
sexy. I think I think it sounds sexy too. Yeah. Hey, hold on here. This what? says that the National Institute of Mental Health uh, says that it, they estimate it affects nearly 4.5% of adults in the US. Oh, wow. And that it is actually one of the more researched uh, neurological disorders. And it says, wow, it says that of that 4.5% of adults in the US, nearly 83% have severe cases of the disorder. Wow, really? Yeah, but it says that unfortunately due to stigma, funding issues, and a lack of education, less than 40% of people with bipolar disorder mm. receive what the National Institute of Mental Health calls minimally adequate treatment. Wow. Um, but yeah, it says that there's definitely reports and literature that shows people, you know, getting diagnosed with something akin to bipolar disorder yeah. as far back as ancient times, right. right? There's documentation of this stuff. I think there are people... There have been people in my life who have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder when it's been, you know, uh, borderline or schizophrenia. Exactly. Yep. And so I think what I sort of learned as a as a this is the narrative that I feel like I have constructed about the research that I've done. And that is that all mental illnesses have a ton of shit in common. And yes, what I think would be beneficial. I think what some neurologists, pharmacologists, people are leaning towards like a less focus of the diagnosis. Yes. And more focus on the symptoms of yes. what's happening. Right. And I think it's more applicable for bipolar disorder. And I only say that because I'm affected by it, but I think that for bipolar, it's so varied of how it affects different people. Definitely. And I would say there are, you know, even between when we say there's bipolar one, bipolar two, there's rapid cycling. Um, do you want to talk about the distinction between bipolar one and bipolar two? Do you feel like you can speak about that fluently? Not necessarily. I feel like I know from what I've heard from other people right. and friends of mine who also have the disorder that bipolar one is bi bipolar one is the the bipolar one according to the national institute of mental health is defined by is more characterized by mania is mm. my understanding mm. um so bipolar That's one right. is defined by manic episodes that last at least seven days or by manic symptoms that are so severe that the person needs hospitalization mm. and depressive episodes occur as well lasting at least two weeks and I, so I guess bipolar two is characterized by less serious mania and more, more depression. depression. Right. That's right. my understanding. Okay. And then rapid cycling or cyclothymia means that these transitions happen a lot quicker. Right. And sometimes can happen during the course of a day. Yes. The uh, NIMH says cyclothymia is defined by periods of hypomanic symptoms as well as periods of depressive symptoms lasting for at least two years. However, the symptoms don't meet the diagnostic requirements for a hypomanic episode and a depressive episode. I think it's actually telling that we're having a hard time pinning this down. That's what I'm saying. Because they seem to, the, what seems to be really at the core of all this is the definition of an episode. Right, 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 right. And I don't know how you characterize that. Right. You know, I mentioned in, in our first episode that I had a psychiatrist who said, it's not about how you're feeling, it's about what you do. Right. But let's see if we can find a definition of an I, episode. I would almost argue against that why I feel like there have been times in my life where I've been manic especially I would say over the last like four or five years when I feel like I've become pretty high functioning with my disorder where I haven't done anything that terribly or that irreparable in my behavior whereas before I think my 
um, threshold for what I could handle in my own brain, I would create complete chaos in my life. Sure. But I would say the amount of struggle that I experienced while having a manic brain and having, yeah, having a manic episode was so fucking difficult and it was just torture. It was complete torture. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't do anything. Right. <laughs> I didn't do anything. You but mean I like, was, you mean you didn't, you didn't do anything to treat it or you didn't? No, I didn't do, me? I didn't do anything bad. I oh, guess oh, I didn't right. do anything impulsive. Right. I, like I really tried to keep it in my own head. Right. But fuck if it didn't like do a number on me. Yeah. No with, kidding. With the obsessive thought patterns and like not being able to sleep. And, you know, it was just, I guess that's part of the symptom, you know, right. That we're sure. Talking about. But I think, you know, I was diagnosed bipolar two. Yeah. I was diagnosed bipolar two when I was 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. When I was re-diagnosed, I was diagnosed with rapid cycling. Right. And now I feel like I'm somewhere, I'm a mix between everything. <laughs> right. I, right. And I, so I don't totally know. I know what my episodes look like mm-hmm. and I know what helps. And I feel like yeah. that's, that's going to be the baseline for a lot of people with bipolar disorder. I agree. And it's not, you're not alone. I think there, a lot of things make it such a muddy disorder to diagnose, to treat. Mm-hmm. I think that's why psychiatrists like to be able to see some kind of behavior. Yeah associated with these episodes because self-reporting how you're feeling is always, I think that's always tricky. Right. Um, you know, you can't take a blood test and see if you have bipolar disorder. You have to be aware of it happening. Right. Um, and as we've already talked about, mania can be so severe that it can be misdiagnosed as all kinds of stuff because right. severe mania, I haven't experienced this, but severe mania can lead to schizophrenia like symptoms yeah so there's the trickiness of diagnosing it Mm -hmm. there's also the trickiness of distinguishing between symptoms of the disorder and symptoms of medication that are treating it right you're dealing with something that causes instability and swings right so it feels to me like trying to you know trying to to grab a the eel that's slithering around, slithering around in your hands, you know, um, just so much about it makes it so difficult. And add to that, people do things like lie and exaggerate and, um, like have a hard time describing what they're going through. Totally. Again, it's not, you can't observe it. You know, you can't, you can't see what's happening. And in fact, when I was looking through the kind of history of diagnosing the disorder, it sounds like, um, of course it was called, uh, manic depression for years and years. Right. And, um, it sounds like it took until like the 1920s for people to believe that there was a biological cause of mental illness, that right. you weren't just some hysterical person that needed to be put away and, you know, like an asylum or right. whatever. Um, and that, or that it wasn't like a, a, a moral failure, right? right that right. There, you weren't like possessed by the devil or whatever. It was confused with schizophrenia for years and years. Sure. So we're only just now sort of trying to, we're only just now kind of sifting through the finer particles of what makes these different disorders different. Yeah. So I think you're not alone in feeling like you're, you know, maybe you're experiencing a combination of things. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if anybody can pin this stuff down with any accuracy. Totally. Yet. Well, and also I think what would be fucking rad is if there was sort of a, a lexicon or a vocabulary um, invented or discussed with people that have bipolar disorder. Right. So they can say, okay, 
sometimes my episodes, I, I call them episodes, but they're, um, sometimes I interchange that with, um, shame spiral and, right. uh, or a panic attack. Right. And what does that look like? And sometimes that panic attack or that shame spiral or that episode, which I use those words yeah. all to describe the same thing, right. which is at some point I, I want to die. At right. Some, like whatever it is, the result, the final end of it is like, okay, I want to die. Right. Right. And that happens so quickly. Mm-hmm. Then it's a matter of how do I climb out of that? Right. Right. And then for me, mania stretches for anywhere between a week to three or four months. Right. And I think what is probably such a challenge for psychiatrists um, is to figure out what meds to prescribe people. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I think it's so, I think the, you know, the pharmacological side of pharmacological pharmacological (laughs) side of this is trying to figure out how to treat those symptoms. Yes. Typically, if you're bipolar, you are prescribed a mood stabilizer. Right. And then, um, in addition, some people will be prescribed an antipsychotic. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And then some people will be prescribed an antipsychotic with an antidepressant. Yes. And that's sort of like, you know, as two ends of the spectrum, hopefully evening yep. you out. Hopefully bringing you up enough out of depression without sending you up into mania and pulling the mania down enough not to sink you into a depression. Right. Which is a tricky kind of game. Yes. Um, and antipsychotics are just a, a class of drugs that are used to manage psychosis. Mm-hmm. So symptoms of psychosis, but also regulate used to regulate mania. And they're also prescribed to people who right. people have been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Right. What I thought was interesting, too, and I remember doing research when I was first prescribed the um, mood stabilizer I'm on now. I'm on Lamictal, Lamotrigine. And so many mood stabilizers are also prescribed to people that have seizures. Yes. And so I was listening to the um, Psychiatry and Psychotherapy podcast, which is very dense and clinical and extremely boring, and their voices are so boring. I was really interested about their each of their takes on what medicines work, right. what treatments work, and and how they sort of affect the brain. And just to hear, um, you know, what inhibitors are peaked and, and talking about the actual... You know, because we as when we talk about bipolar disorder, we say, oh, it's a chemical imbalance. But right. What are those actual chemicals? Oh, What's yeah. the dopamine, the serotonin, yeah. all of that? How is it affected? You know, the challenge is m- mitigating those symptoms so they don't take over your life. Right. I, I think, too, that so much of the other side of the curtain, so sort of how the medical community deals with diagnosing and treating bipolar disorder was elucidated for me when I read a book a few years ago while I was preparing to write my dissertation. And the book was actually written by an anthropologist Mm. named T.M. Lerman. And T.M. Lerman did a really long, involved, anthropological, observational study of medical school students as they decided to enter the field of psychiatry. And what she found was that there are two kind of streams associated with psychiatrists in training. One stream was sort of like the touchy-feely psychotherapy route that, in her observation, women were more likely to be drawn to. 
Um, so, you know, people, students who believed that talk therapy and psychotherapy had a huge role to play in treating mental illness mm. um, and believed that that should be, in, you know, that should be incorporated into a treatment plan as much, if not more than medicine. Mm. The other track, which she found that more men were drawn to, was the biomedical sciences, the hard sciences, the, you know, the prescription pad type of psychiatrist mm-hmm. who's not there to talk about your feelings. Right. Just wants to help you manage your symptoms and get in and get out. Right. And um, as I was reading that book, I found myself thinking, I don't know how it, it's clear to me as someone who has struggled with my mental health that you can't deal with those two tracks separately that that's not possible you can't take just a hard sciences sort of approach mm-hmm. to this and expect it to yield anything right um because that's not how the human brain works right you can't you, you can't observe it the way that you could observe a mole that's growing on your arm or something right. you know you can't there's no objective standard by which to measure it totally um and she, I think, as an anthropologist, understands that, too, because her training is in observation and drawing conclusions from like what what we can answer by observing things culturally. So I think by like looking at the culture of medical school, um, she finds that a lot of problems within the field and ambiguities in the field, like the ones that we're discovering that exist with bipolar disorder, are a result of that kind of massive split that happens when people first right. decide whether or not to pursue this. Right. And that those two ends don't really ever meet each other again. Right. And we see treatment that is absolutely not integrated at all. Yes. And even finding a psychiatrist in the first place is difficult. Finding one who specializes in bipolar treatment is difficult. I can't, I don't think I've ever worked with a psych that has had communication with my therapist. I haven't either. And I, I think that that should be, it should be integrated. And I wonder too, as you're talking, I'm thinking about, cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reading, um, I'm reading body keeps the score, you know? Right. And I'm thinking about the way that the brain functions mm-hmm. and this is very interesting, like right brain, left brain yeah. approaches to, you know, this disorder. Uh-huh. And I think that, you know, the touchy feely discussion about your mood and your feelings and your history and what trauma is interplaying mm-hmm. with your disorder is as important as addressing the actual chemical imbalance. Absolutely. And I feel like we, a lot of people forget that they mm-hmm. want to, they, they either are very resistant to meds yeah. because they hear, they watch Garden State and <laughs> Zach Braff told them that they're going to be numb if they take meds. And, um, there are people that just want a pill and they don't want to fucking deal with it. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah. And I understand the impulse for both, but I think we have to, we really, as, as people with bipolar disorder have to bridge the gap for both. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe the the great thing about therapy is that you can you can develop tools yeah. that are practical, yeah. you know, in in addressing it. As you're talking about this, I'm realizing I think the only place or one of the only places where you can find that kind of integrative care is it an inpatient I was facility. Just say, yeah, it's in a, in a hospital. And I feel like that's either accessible to people who have lots of money and lots of resources and mm-hmm. can go to like essentially rehab yep. or um, end up in an, you know, institutionalized, mm-hmm. you know. 
people that I know that have been hospitalized for most often I would say like suicide attempts end up having a very difficult time in treatment centers. Mm -hmm. And I feel like until we address some of those serious issues in treatment centers, we have to really bolster preventative measures for people with bipolar disorder and for all mental disorders. Maybe our listeners can let me know this. I, I just feel like there's not a if there is a more comprehensive way that this stuff is addressed, it's not available to most people, right? right? It's right. just, it's not, it's not an option for most people. And I feel like when you're diagnosed with bipolar, it's just kind of like, oh shit. Like right. if the professionals don't like are trying to, they don't know why, uh, and you know, an anti-seizure medication works, but it works. It feels, it feels kind of scary of like, okay, nobody knows what they're doing with my brain. No kidding. And just the, um, amount of drugs that are available. It feels scary. It feels scary that they affect your brain and they affect your mood. Uh Um, and I was doing a ton of research about, uh, different drugs and how they affect the body and how they affect the brain. And I would say that you have a, an extensive knowledge about these drugs. Oh yes. Because you've been bipolar for a lot longer than I have. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And you've been medicated a lot longer than I have. Definitely. I've been on just about every cocktail you could possibly imagine. Um, cocktails of mood stabilizers of antipsychotics and antidepressants of, just every stripe and color. Um, and some of the more experimental drugs, um, like drugs that are used to treat seizures, mm-hmm. um, several of those types of drugs as well. Um, so, you know, I won't, I won't bore anybody by listing those, but, um, it's a balancing act and it requires a ton of patience. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that you're kind of just rolling the dice with what's going to work and feel good for your brain, but that's kind of how it works. And it takes weeks for some of these medications to start to, to start working. Right. So, you know, for people who are going to embark on that process, whether it's for bipolar or just for depression or anxiety or whatever it is, it requires commitment to it being a long haul process, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. You have to commit to it. Yeah. When I was thinking about different meds you could be on and, and trying different stuff, I was thinking about what might be helpful for somebody newly diagnosed would be kind of what we've been talking about on a couple episodes, which is you are the master of your own destiny. I'm not saying that you should decide what meds you're going to go on or that you know more than a doctor or somebody who would prescribe you meds. But I will say that because bipolar disorder is so varied in how it affects the brain and how it affects behavior, only you know to what extent mania affects you mm-hmm. and depression affects you. Yes. This whole time we've been talking and doing research, I am really interested in, in possibly trying an antipsychotic because I've been on a mood stabilizer. I've been on lamotrigine for eight or nine years now. Right. I previously was on Seroquel, which I didn't like. Yep. My mania gets so bad sometimes that I feel totally out of control. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel good. <laughs> <laughs> my brain hurts. Um, and I have never changed my meds because I'm, 
I I don't want to like die for extended periods of time. So right. that feel I don't want to shake anything up. Once you figure out something that works, the last thing you want to do is it feels like pulling at a Jenga tower. I'm scared. Mm-hmm. But I think as we've been talking, I've been like, oh, that's what antipsychotics are supposed to do. Right. They're supposed to help rein that mm-hmm. thing in. Now, the problem with a lot of antipsychotics is that they have really intense, gnarly um, side effects. Right. A lot of them do. Right. Um, but, I mean, if, if you can... I, I also have been reading a lot of message boards and, and, you know, people's experiences with meds. And it seems like lithium gets a really bad rap and has been getting a bad rap for a really long time. Yeah, the connotation is really negative with lithium. We were just watching this, I mean... (laughs) hideous show on Netflix called Spinning Out. <laughs> Which was, it was like recommended as like a nuanced take on bipolar disorder. So I was like really excited because as we always talk about, there's never any sort of positive. No. Representation. Right. This is no exception. It has not one, but two characters who have bipolar disorder. and A, a mother um, and daughter. Uh, a mother and daughter. It's also, um, we've, we at first thought that it was like tailor-made for us because it's also about figure skating, I'm which we both love. I'm obsessed with figure skating. I, it's, it's an obsession that I go through every winter. Love it. It's, it's so fantastic. You know what I love to go through in the winter, but what? during the Winter Olympics, hmm. curling. Do you really? I, I don't love think watching I've ever curling. Watched it. You would love it. I feel like you'd be really good at curling too. Let's we could, we it. should do a curling team. You've seen that, right? Yes, it's I've so seen it. cool. I love watching it. Okay, um, <laughs> but uh, so spinning out. Of course, we watch it, and within you know two episodes, something just like incredible. The the one of the bipolar characters does something like wakes her young daughter up in the middle of the night and is making her run laps in the cold or something. While she's, like, watering plants. Right. And so she's having some kind of an episode, and her daughter says, are you off your meds? <laughs> she's like, and everybody's on lithium. So yeah, like, she's like... And that and she keeps referencing it, too. It's like, I'm going to watch you while you take your lithium. Yeah, right. And I, it's just, I know you haven't been taking your lithium they the way you're use, acting. Where's my lithium? <laughs> they just use lithium by name quite a bit. And I guess the only thing I ever knew about it before, you know, my experience with bipolar disorder is that you take lithium when you're going thermonuclear on it. Like it is a, I, I thought it made you totally catatonic. It That's what I thought you too. Out, um, that it was impossible to function normally while on lithium. Turns out, it's just an, it's a, you know, it's a powerful drug, but it's an, it's an element, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it acts as a mood stabilizer and it does have some, you know, speaking of gnarly side effects, it, it offers a pretty extensive menu of them, but people seem to swear by it. Yeah. It I have, seems to be super effective. I'm obsessed with Shira Ehrlichman, who's a, who's a poet and writer and um she actually has a book of poems called odes to lithium mm-hmm. that is a phenomenal it has just phenomenal writing i think she's one of the greatest writers of our time and so um i would recommend that book for the sort of artistic quality of lithium mm-hmm. i am fascinated by lithium i just i had no idea it has been shown to be according again to the national institute of mental health to significantly decrease the risk of suicide, which for, of course, bipolar patients is very high. But yeah, I always just, I my understanding was you really can't function once you're on it. Yeah. Like that you're just, you know, that your, your 
like laying on the big grassy hill behind a mental institution right. and just like staring at the clouds. Exactly. It turns out there are lots of really high functioning people who take lithium and who just, again, just they, they swear by it. Yeah. It's just a miracle drug. So that's why I would say if you, if you are more aware of what your symptoms are, mm-hmm. where you're like, I don't really, my depression isn't as bad as my, bi- or my, my mania. Right. Valproic acid might be the right stabilizer. For right. You. There are also some, speaking of going thermonuclear, there are some treatments that have been shown to be super effective, mm. um, but are, I think, reserved as sort of a last, you know, a last resort. And electroconvulsive therapy, the ECT is one of them. It's shown to be really effective for depression also. Yes. What I was, so I was reading about this. I read, I read uh, a journal, uh, a clinical study on ECT, and they said that it's, it's insane how well it works. Pardon me. No pun intended. It's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> what I gathered from a couple of the studies is that it's really helpful for short-term uh, treating depression. They're they're saying more and more that that it's it's helpful for mania. Mm-hmm. It's helpful for ongoing treatment. I like the connotation for it to me. Just is so it sounds arcane. Like it just. Fe- I think that it's maybe it's just got a bad rap, but I just I don't think that I I don't think I could do it. It sounds to me and a lot of these treatments sound like this to me, even that magnetic therapy that Mm -hmm. a lot of people are doing right now. That's more focused for trauma. Right. Um, TMI. (laughs) Sorry, there's too many. (laughs) There's There's too many fucking acronyms. What a lot of them feel like to me. Electroshock therapy or electroconvulsive therapy just to me smacks of like that. That's a very ham fisted medieval way to deal with a mental with a disease. Right. Like that. That's what you do when you don't understand something is you just try to like electrocute somebody until you fix it. Yeah. And I just don't know how do they arrive at that? How do we. It just doesn't, I, I don't know. It, I don't know what it is. And maybe this is just because I don't understand medicine. So I don't want to be one of those people who's like, that sounds weird. So I'm, you know, I'm poo-pooing it. But um, I, it just, it sounds to me, again, like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing whether or not it sticks. Yeah. And the, one of the reasons that makes me nervous is I don't want people who have bipolar disorder to think, you know what? psychiatrists are all completely full of shit. Nobody knows what they're talking about. Right. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to manage it on my own, right. you know, because I think it does seem sometimes like your options are getting medication that has serious side effects or getting something like electroconvulsive therapy if you can afford it or have access to it mm-hmm. or this magnetic therapy. TMS. TMS, not TMI. Actually, I don't think it's indicated for bipolar disorder. I think no, it's only it's for, for depression. Trauma, uh, trauma and, yeah, mostly for PTSD. I think maybe for depression as well, but it's, it's transcranial magnetic stimulation. Um, and I looked into doing it for PTSD, but I was, I was a little spooked. Yeah. And TMS and ECT, both of these procedures, these processes of of how we treat disorders to me, they, they affect physiologically. They, they are an outside thing. They either shock or use magnets right. to affect the brain uh-huh. and synapses in the brain. And 
that's what sort of, right. you know, it, that's what affects the neurotransmitters. Right. What the pharmacological approach is that it's going into your cells. Uh-huh. It's affecting your brain from the inside. Right. And I think all of it is fine. Uh-huh. But I think you have to, in order to, to create lasting change, you have to be able to rewire yeah, sure. You mean you through ha- talk therapy? Yes. Right. It's like the difference between doing something that is applying that external first force or that external pressure and trying to make those internal changes happen. But like you said, it doesn't seem to me like that's very effective without doing the really hard work of talk therapy right. and learning your own cycles and your own triggers and getting to really know yourself, like right. documenting your moods. And we mentioned this last time, but I think another crucial step, um, even for somebody who thinks that they might be diagnosed with depression or bipolar disorder or anxiety or whatever, before they go to the doctor, I think a really good first step is just tracking your moods, mm-hmm. just getting some kind of an app or a journal right. or whatever it is and keeping track of your moods and how you feel on particular days. And if you do feel like you get depressed, is there anything that precipitates that? Right. Um, when you do have a day where you feel kind of stable, what precipitates that? Um, I would say that joined with what you said a few episodes ago, which is to try to reach homeostasis, like get enough sleep drink enough water. Um, if you are able to whatever kind of exercise you can get with the body that you have, I do also think, I hate to say it because know, you, you know, it suck a shit, but it's it, so it has been shown. It's so true. And though. studies have shown it over and over and over again, that actually vigorous exercise only be, being the only thing you do still has been shown to decrease symptoms of bipolar swings mm-hmm. significantly, even if that's the only thing you do. Mm-hmm. And I hate that because I can't tell you how many times I've had psychiatrists tell me that exercising is like the secret to yeah, you know, I'm getting like, out of this. Yeah, like, yourself. Right. I want meds. Right. And <laughs> so I know we keep talking about this. But, but it's so real. It, it really we is. Just, a- we went to the gym today. We go to the gym about three or four times a week. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't. I don't swing. I don't swing as bad on the days we go to the gym. It is just essential. And just whatever, like I said, like with whatever body you have and whatever capabilities you have, whatever you can do to like get your heart rate up in a way that is safe for you um, to engage in like some kind of movement will just work wonders. But I think doing everything that's within your control. And I do also think that a canary in the coal mine for bipolar disorder specifically is sleep. Yeah. It, It is so important. And yet I think it can be one of the first thing that things that goes wrong one way or the other. Yeah. So if you find yourself either, you know, like getting away with getting three or four hours of sleep every night or sleeping for, you know, 12 or 13 hours a day, like any kind of irregular sleep pattern, I think. Like if you're straying too far out of the, you know, like six to eight hours of sleep range, it has a complicated relationship because it can also really worsen or trigger or Mm -hmm. agitate symptoms of a mood disorder. That's for me the biggest indicator that I'm going through something or I'm I'm starting to have an episode is my lack of sleep. And sometimes it feels like, Am I creating a a manic episode because I'm like forcing myself not to sleep or is part of my manic episode like 
creating uh, an environment where I don't get enough sleep. Right. But I would say for me, I know the, I know what the extremes are. Yeah. And I, you know, I went, I went three months with sleeping two or three hours a night yeah. and sometimes not sleeping for days. Yeah. And that's when the borderline hallucinations start right. and the paranoia right. and everything starts to feel God. I, when I think about it, sometimes I'm like, Holy shit. Like that, those times are really scary like, yeah. to feel out of control, out of your own head. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I keep mentioning this and in a way I want us to normalize talking about it the way I think we're making real progress with normalizing bipolar disorder is that I, I hope everybody will just take a moment to reconsider the way that you talk about people with schizophrenia. Yes. Uh, and bees sensitive to that they know so little about schizophrenia and i think it's it's can be so lonely and mm-hmm. so scary mm-hmm. and there's this idea that if you are schizophrenic that means you are you know on the street talking to yourself or you are in an institution but yeah. that's absolutely not true um there are people who can be medicated really effectively who struggle with schiz- schizophrenia yeah. um so to be sympathetic to that experience i think is really important no. i i think going through bipolar disorder bipolar disorder feels to me to be be kind of one of those borderline mental illnesses where it's like you can live normally in the world i really do think you can it can yeah. be treated but it can also be super debilitating so it's like a cuspy disorder for me yeah where people perceive it as being like you're you're seesawing on the edge of not being okay mm-hmm. right like not being able to live a normal life and it's like schizophrenia oh you're over the edge right. or even borderline i would say it's like oh you're over the edge yeah nobody by virtue of their mental health has sacrificed their right to live a life with accommodations and patience and grace and to have a chance to feel normal and be treated like they're normal. Right. Um, but also have their differences acknowledged. Um, it just seems like one of the kind of last frontiers of mental health is that it's okay to be incredibly insensitive to that, you know, yeah, I agree. and they feel in a way like brothers in arms to us. Cause they're like on the same meds and mm-hmm. they deal with similar symptoms. Yeah. And it's not always the extreme kind of sort of vision of schizophrenia that you see depicted in the media. Talk right. about something with no positive media representation. Yeah, for real. How could you di- get diagnosed with schizophrenia and think that you had any prayer of living a normal life? Yeah. You know, there's nothing, it's there's only no evidence of that. Media. No. And it's only marginally better for people with bipolar disorder, yeah. you know, I think the way that we talk about this kind of stuff can go a long way toward, you know, like creating a different future for people, letting people envision a different future. You yeah. know, I do think if there's one thing that I think you and I have in common, it is a belief in, even though I think they are stabbing in the dark. I think they'd admit that they're stabbing in the dark. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think psychiatry is, is, is the, one of the final frontiers. Yeah. I agree. Even though they, I think often they're only starting to figure this stuff out. Mm -hmm. You and I share at our core, a faith in the medical community and a faith in psychiatry and in doctors. Yes. Sometimes that takes going to more than one doctor, but I do think it's dangerous just to issue the medical community altogether and go after this on your own. Right. But the 
Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration is a government organization that will help you find behavioral health services no matter where you are or how much you can afford. Mm-hmm. Um, and their website is findtreatment.samhsa.gov. And I'll post that. But so I would say that would be step one. Yes. Yes. Uh, step one. Make the appointment. Maybe you can't get in to see somebody for a while. Yeah. Make the appointment and then start tracking your mood. Start tracking your sleep. Pay attention to how you feel when you get different levels of activity. Or when you expose yourself to different emotional triggers. Or when you're under particular amounts of stress. Mm -hmm. You know, start noticing those patterns about yourself. And then you can go to a doctor with a lot of information to give them about exactly. what's going on and be patient, be patient with yourself. If you've just gotten a diagnosis or you suspect that you might be experiencing some symptoms of any sort of disorder, any sort of mental illness, be excited, be yeah. excited that yeah. you are that aware in your understanding of how your brain is functioning. Absolutely. What chemicals are being fired and what yeah. pathways have been taken. Yeah. That that you are you are headed in this incredible new direction to making your life better. Yes, absolutely. You don't have to suffer. Yeah. And you're joining a super exclusive club. I mean, like only like <laughs> three to four and a half percent of Americans. And Mary and Wyatt are part of it. Yes. Welcome. Yes. Then that means you are manic fam <laughs> in bold font yes um but and then also you know what i used to do a lot when i was younger and i'd get bummed out i'd be like this isn't fair that i have to deal with this right i know this is so dumb and romanticizing it but i would just go online and look at lists of famous people with bipolar disorder yes it's helpful it's really helpful go ahead not only does it make you feel hopeful it kind of made me feel a little proud because it's kind of an awesome club. Mm-hmm. Like it's, 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 you know, for all of its drawbacks, it's yeah. just, you know, if you're grasping for straws in the dark or, you know, if you have depression, look at famous people with depression, <laughs> find out who's not on that list. <laughs> I was also thinking about what we do to sort of self-medicate right. in the interim before we have meds or before yeah. we know that we have bipolar disorder. And I read some studies a couple years ago there was a, a whole research stu- study done on how marijuana affects people with bipolar disorder. Yeah. I had a friend who was bipolar really severely, like like entering into psychosis and mm-hmm. um, hallucinating. She swore by smoking weed. She right. was like, she was on meds, but she also smoked weed. Right. And so I always felt like, well, maybe that's right for some people. But as I as I started to notice with her, and obviously we're I'll just say again, we're not I'm not a doctor. Yeah. But I I felt like it was making it more difficult for her to see reality. Right. Absolutely. And I don't know about anybody else that's bipolar and also like uses weed recreationally. Right. But I have been pulled into a an a really terrifying episode where I felt like it was completely diso- I was dissociating. Yeah. And I think that when we have mental disorders to be really careful about the kind of drugs that we use. Absolutely. And for years I have friends that are like, you have to try shrooms, you have to try them. You have to-. And I'm like, I 
I like, I freak out if I smoke too much weed. Right. And I think I, I want to be really careful about yes. what I use and, and why I'm using it. People with bipolar disorder are, I mean, exponentially more likely to abuse substances and really should be careful with it mm-hmm. because alcohol and drugs have been shown to exacerbate symptoms of bipolar disorder mm-hmm. a lot and to either trigger or make worse manic or depressive episodes. You have such a delicate ecosystem in your brain as somebody with bipolar disorder, particularly if you're on meds. And I think throwing recreational drugs into the mix can be really dangerous Mm -hmm. and can lead to, you know, one bad experience, maybe all it takes for real damage to be done. Um, I would say to proceed with real caution. And what I found too, and I, I don't know if this is like terrible advice, but when I, before weed was legal, when I lived in Washington state, different strains affect your brain differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that there should be like, I don't know, some guidelines for people that have bipolar disorder to say, you know, avoid, avoid this really trippy strain that might like lead you into wanting to kill yourself. Absolutely. I mean, no question. There was someone down the street from me I know this is a trigger warning, you know, suicide, but I feel like we've we've already crossed that bridge. Mm -hmm. But um, this woman, um, all she did was smoke weed. She was bipolar and she entered into complete psychosis and jumped out the window and killed herself. Oh, no. And it it was like that happened around the same time that I that I had this terrible episode that was brought on from weed. And I just felt like. Oh my God, this is so scary. And so now when I smoke weed, I literally have like a hit or two and I'm like giggly and I feel fine yep. and good, but I, I can't smoke too much or, right. I, or I just totally spiral. And there's a, yes. And I think that there's, that's rooted in research. So, and that's rooted in research that what we are advising people to do is, is rooted in current research. So the, Substance abuse treatment prevention and policy wing of the National Institute of Mental Health did a study. This is a little bit dated. It was in 2007, but they found that um, the lifetime prevalence of substance abuse disorders in bipolar patients is at least 40 percent. Wow. Right. So that's that's really high. That's super high. It says alcohol and cannabis are the substances most often abused, followed by cocaine and then opioids. And it says research has consistently shown that co-occurring SUDs are correlated with negative effects on illness outcome, including more frequent and prolonged affective episodes, decreased compliance with treatment, a lower quality of life and increased suicidal behavior. Mm-hmm. This is recent research on the causal relationship between the two disorders. So substance abuse disorder and bipolar um, suggests that a subgroup of bipolar patients may develop a milder form of affective illness that is expressed only after extended exposure to alcohol abuse. Wow. So I think that that is if that doesn't tell you how delicate a balance you're dealing with. I just think, unfortunately, you have to you are particularly susceptible to one of these substances leading down a path that you can't get back out of. Yes. I would say too, when I was bartending and drinking as much as I was, it rendered my medication, I wouldn't say useless, but I think it really affected the, um, 
the efficacy of my of my mood stabilizer. Oh yes. And so what would happen is that again, I don't know if the alcohol use was precipitated with a with a manic episode or, you know, the drinking lowered my meds, which right. triggered a manic episode. But I do know that if we sort of accept as a bipolar community that, right. That are one of the symptoms of mania is being impulsive. Right. Yeah. To have alcohol be a, constant substance right. in someone else's life right which creates Im- impulsivity right. and lowers your inhibition right you are that much more likely to to engage in really dangerous behavior absolutely i and the the fact that any of these substances the way they work is by changing your neurotransmitters. So mm-hmm. train changing your brain chemistry. Right. Right. Um, and you know, I'm just using alcohol as one example here, but like alcohol changes your serotonin levels. It's a depressant for anybody with a mental illness. Other substances can throw things out of whack in other ways. So something to be aware of, um, particularly as treatments involving different substances, like experimental treatments are starting to emerge. I haven't, tried any of these. So I am not, you know, I'm not prepared to speak about them from direct experience. Um, but I think that, you know, anything you look into should be preceded by the process we talked about. Exactly. Um, yeah, I recently heard about, um, ketamine as a treatment and that just all of my, all of the flags and my head went up of just, I, it was the same thing when I heard that, um, people sort of microdosing using LSD. LSD. Uh These treatments are often being, uh, prescribed and used to treat one part of bipolar disorder. And oftentimes, especially, I think the ketamine is used for specifically for the, the, for bipolar depression. Uh huh. Yeah. When, People like us engage in that kind of treatment. Uh-huh. The mania it is so unpredictable at right. times. And I think although a lot of psychs are stabbing in the dark and not totally sure what's going on, there are things they do know what works. Yeah. And I think it is important to exhaust all of the options of definitely first. Definitely. I think I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not one to say that alternative treatments and alternative therapies aren't, um, aren't effective or helpful for some people. Yes. But I will say that if you are, if you were new to the, if you're new to being bipolar or you're new to, to having a diagnosis, I think it's important to go a sort of traditional route, at least initially. Yes. I think those alternative treatments are really helpful for people where there's like a last resort. Exactly. Or or non-response to traditional therapies that they've used for bipolar disorder. Right. Totally. Uh, it, It is, it is best to, it is best to go slowly and deliberately. Yes. And the, the more slowly you go and the more traditional routes you can take, I was telling you that one of the medications I was on was an antipsychotic called Zyprexa that had some really funky side effects when I was in grad school. Mm-hmm. Because that is a an FDA approved drug, I was able to 
look online and look at the list of common side effects and look at prescription information because it has gone through the rigor of FDA testing, right? Um, And clinical trials and all this kind of stuff. So I was able to see that information with something like microdosing LSD, none such thing exists. Right. There's also the lack of accountability kind of bothers me too. I agree. Um, and I think at least with, you know, with, uh, with psychiatrists, you've got, you know, there's, there's a system in place to make sure that they're treating patients with care, that they're treating yeah. patients responsibly you, and ethically. I mean, and, and, and you hope so, but I, and I understand you people being sort of skeptical Cynical, totally and, uh, about, about treatment or about, yes. or about prescribers, especially people who are from socioeconomic groups that like don't have access to quality care. Right. I can only imagine mm-hmm. that not everybody has had this warm and fuzzy experience we have of just like strolling in, you know, strolling into a doctor's office and being right. able to afford care and having insurance and all this stuff. Right. But it is, and I don't want to reiterate that's the best option we have. Yes, in terms right. of addressing the chemical side of brain function with yes. bipolar disorder, it is the best course of action we have as bipolar people. Right, and Agreed. I think I think it, that should be taken really seriously. Yes, that it's it's that's what that we're we're lucky we're lucky that we have that, and hopefully things you know get better and improve, and there are new therapies, yes. and new ways of, of approaching it. But right now, there's also the accountability of. Um, somebody prescribing you a medication and it's on their time. Yes. It's on their time. It is on their conscience. Yes, right. They have to deal with the responsibility right. of if that goes south for you. Right. I mean, they have a, they have a, um, you know, they have a med- medical license to worry about, mm-hmm. right? Like there, there's, there are, there are structures in place to ensure that they are at least trying to give you know, to give ethical and responsible care. Mm -hmm. But I understand. I, you know, it doesn't take much. I, I, I remember, um, hearing my, my mom talk to me about a, a drug that they used to prescribe to women who are pregnant for morning sickness called thalidomide. Have you heard of this? Mm -mm. Um, so thalidomide, which was given to God knows how many women, um, thalidomide, was used at the end of the 50s. It was, it was, so it was used in the 1950s. And it caused just tragic, horrendous birth defects. Oh, no. And I think about that. And even though I know that was a really long time ago, and thalidomide is remembered as being one of the kind of darkest episodes in, you know, medical, pharmaceutical history. I think about that and I think, I, I understand even now, you know, all these years later... I understand people being skeptical. I mean, you don't have to go far to see drugs have been recalled and drugs where studies have shown later that they're incredibly dangerous or cause horrible side effects or have been, you know, pulled from the shelves of pharmacies entirely. And like I said before, I understand people who are cynical about medicine, but you, you are worth exhausting every avenue Mm -hmm. and just think of, you know, going to doctors is just another avenue and it might take a while to settle on one who can help. And I know that's frustrating. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, there are things that you can do. Totally. Also having support is critical. Yes. Um, so even, I don't know, like this, this, I wish that this subreddit, this bipolar subreddit had been around when I was in high school and college, it would have been huge for me to know that other people had gone through this kind of stuff, but 
yeah, online support groups, um, finding people who are, you know, if you're on a college campus, I know that there are support groups for students. Um, um, what's the, what's the bipolar or Reddit? Uh, it is, uh, just bipolar. Yep. Slash R slash bipolar. Yeah. Huh. Um, there's 95,000 members. Wow. There's also bipolar Reddit, another subreddit that has 43,000 members. Bipolar memes. I love looking at those. I feel like that's such an important outlet. <laughs> here, here's meme therapy. Yeah, here's one. It's like a sea of people who are all gray. Okay. And they're labeled everyone else during finals week. And then there's just one smiling orange person in the middle. And it's labeled me having a stress-induced <laughs> manic episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You so, know what? I was, as you're saying this, I'm like, oh shit. Like, I haven't, until I met you, I haven't had anyone very close in my life that had bipolar disorder. Yeah, we've talked about this, and I think I, the more I think about it since we mentioned in our first episode, the more convinced I am that I, I can count people on one hand. And that besides, I've been close besides to. Besides, like, family members, which is like, you know, we talk about, you know, the genetic the genetic we i guess we didn't mention that at all but my uncle oh, has, yeah. has bipolar disorder mm-hmm. my aunt has bipolar disorder it runs in my family as well and it's just i don't it, it just feels so comforting to be able to talk about it with somebody yeah and also i'm just like feel so incredibly lucky that you're my partner you know and like we get we have that element yeah um but (laughs) to just have that closeness and to just talk about like like today i told you i was like i don't my brain doesn't feel right Mm -hmm. and i normally i call these like bed days where i'm like i well i can't get out of bed and i had a really hard time getting out of bed today but I am really excited about new um, new methods that I'm trying for battling, you know, bipolar depression. Yeah, and and just trying to take it take it back, I guess. And I was able to really turn stuff around today, and it was neat to be able to share that with you. Yeah, and have you get it. I think it's really important for us to have each other. And I'm now knowing what this feels like to be so understood by somebody I'm so close with. I wish that for, for everybody that's bipolar. Absolutely. And I think I am such a big believer in being able to get that kind of support, you know, from a distance. And I know I mentioned this or talked about this in our first episode, but um, the connection that you can have with other people is I think so powerful, even if it's just one or two people and it's just sort of a superficial relationship online or something, I think it's still a step in the right direction. Yeah. It's a step toward connection. Right. Right. So it is time for the always exciting, rotating, revolving door. Never predictable. Always titillating, scintillating <laughs> tit. <laughs> it's time for... A new segment. Oh, my God. And other people have done this. We're not the first. We're not the first, but we will be the best, the most compelling. We will be the best. There's no way that anybody has ever done this the way that we're about to do it. Manic episodes style. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is time for a round of... Would Would you you rather... Would you... Would you? Would you? Would you? How much would would you rather would if how would you? Um, and could and woody and woody. woody and that would be this would be. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not funny. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> we were trying though. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Let's just go. 
Okay. Do you want to start? I, yours are so good. Okay, the reason we came up with this segment is that Wyatt comes up with these just randomly. We'll just be in the car, and they will say something like... Okay, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say any just in case. Are these all new? These are all new. Oh shit! You've not heard any of these before. I can't fucking wait. Okay, uh, I'm ready. My strongest skills, my skill set, is mostly comprised of totally non-marketable skills like <laughs> parallel parking. I'm really good at, and mm-hmm. coming up with weird shit like this. I'm really good at. Perfect. Um, okay, so the first, would you rather for you, okay. Mary? Okay. It's bring it on. Would you rather have a partner who laughed really hard every time you got undressed <laughs> or a partner who pulled your pants down every time you went to the grocery store? <laughs> Other than that, the relationship was perfect. The, the first, the first. Laughing really hard every yeah, time you got undressed? Every time I got undressed. You are a patient woman. God bless you. We'll test that tonight. I'm just kidding. Okay, you want to hear these all in a row? Yes. Okay. Would you rather only be allowed to eat while wearing mittens or only be able to wear wet socks? All the time. All the time. I, so I have to wear wet socks all the time yes. or every time I eat, I wear mittens. Exactly. Uh, fuck. Oh, I'll choose mittens. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's well, this I is, just, there's nothing worse than wet socks. And I'm legally so, binding. I'm, <laughs> I'm so particular about my feet. Good decision. Good decision. Okay. And finally. Okay. Would you rather have to loudly sing the Star Spangled Banner every time you pee <laughs> or have to scream, I have the worst gas right now before you laugh? <laughs> every, every time you every laugh. Every time before I laugh, so yeah. I would have just had to say it? Yes. No, I love singing the Star Spangled Banner. You have to sing it in its entirety. Even if it was just like a quick pee, you have to sing it front to back. Give I actually I'm gonna start doing that. All right, that's it. Those three, <laughs> and I think you passed with flying colors. I just burned <laughs> Oh, I should have announced. You know what? It's very funny. Okay, because ours are similar. Uh-huh. Okay. okay, go for it. Okay, would you rather fart every time someone said your name oh. out in the world, or give your enemies fifty dollars every time you pooped? <laughs> oh my god. Oh, that's awful. Oh, it would have to be farting. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so cheap. Like, the thought of having to give somebody I dislike money. And I love pooping. I want to be able to poop without guilt. Without yeah. feeling like it's going to cost me. That's a great one, though. I need a guilt-free shit. You are a natural at this. Great job. Okay, okay. This is... Okay. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Okay. Would you rather have really long nails for uh, the rest of your life? Uh-huh. Or- like, how long? Like, like okay, curling like, under along? Like, almost curling, oh, but not quite. Jeez, okay. Not not quite. Okay. Or would you rather um, ride a painful seesaw for two hours every day? Pain- <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, and I know when a seesaw is painful, I know exactly where it's painful. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to go seesaw. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with the seesaw. What would you do? Um... Yeah, I think I would do Seesaw, too. Man. You guys weigh in on these. Two hours. I'd love to know how you felt. Yeah, that's that's extreme. That's a big time commitment, for sure. So I think we learned something about ourselves. A little something about ourselves today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you ready to share your obsession yes. of the week? Yes, I'm obsessed Go with stuff. Um, well, this has been a recurring obsession of mine, and I don't know why it just... It just came up for me again, but it is the Indigo Girls 
Swampophilia record. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, it was... The Indigo Girls were the first concert I ever really saw. I saw them with my parents when I was 11 years old. Hell yeah. And I stood at the front of the stage with a huge poster of them. I wanted them to sign it so bad. And I just knew every word to Swamp Ophelia when I was 11. Yes. And... I honestly, it was really inspired by it for my, for Grief Creature. Right, right. And I was just, I was listening to it while I was on a hike, like the other day with the dogs and I was singing it at the top of my lungs and it is the funnest album to sing. And, um, so I've just been listening to it nonstop and just thinking about that, just what an impact the Indigo Girls have had on my writing and in my life and, Today I put it on and I played cello to it and I was just like, oh, so I, I really want to reach out to them because I've, oh, yeah. I've that anyway. So I'm having, oh, that's fabulous. Um, I'm also obsessed with the new L word <laughs> for Generation Q. I try, and actually this is the gayest obsessions week that I've had, I think. That, I was going to say. <laughs> Most classically Lilith Fair. <laughs> you are batting a thousand in the softball batting cages of life Thank right now. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I was reluctant to watch it, probably because I was salty that I didn't get asked to do anything for uh-huh. it. They were I knew they were asking for, like, musical submissions, but they didn't pick any of my songs, so I think I was a little bit bitter. Fucking jerks. But I, I watched it, and I'm... I'm bummed that I I waited so long. Really, and I let my I let my jealousy and my emotions get the best of me. But I'm watching it now. The season finale just happened, so I think now I'm on. I'm in with the zeitgeist. And uh-huh. It's really good. Awesome. It's better than the old L word. That's fabulous. It's like I just I it's it's they've gotten rid of a ton of the problematic shit that really was you know at the core of quite a bit of that's the great original yeah. word anyway so i'm happy about it very cool um the other thing i'm obsessed with is razzing you <laughs> <laughs> we've been playing a lot and it's been so fun to just be really playful i love that too I, it, <laughs> it, it is so uh it's so interesting how there are like we can go through these like kind of different stages of getting comfortable and having fun with each other. Yes. This latest incarnation of, and I love (laughs) negging and razzing. Not, I mean, not like actual negging. Yeah, not like, um, Um, not the kind that straight people do, um, but (laughs) like, uh, like playful razzing I'm Mm -hmm. obsessed with. I I love when people feel comfortable enough to like bust balls and have fun with me. I think it's really, I think it's so sweet. I think we're also both so theatrical that it's fun to do this, this, the one that we do most frequently is like, when one of us like lovingly pats the other, you know. Ow! <laughs> I love it. Mary gets inevitably really freaked out, so she'll like playfully slap me in the arm. I'll be like, "Oh God, honey, that really that really hurt." It still hurts. <laughs> so I'm obsessed with that too. You are. Uh, yeah, it's of just course. so fun to play. It's a okay. blast. Okay, okay. And those are my obsessions. Those are all um, two gayer than the others. Yes, but I love those. I can't wait to know what you're obsessed with. Um, I have to say the the. Your obsession with Swamp Ophelia reminds me of my obsession with Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville, yes. which I, or actually Liz Fair's White Chocolate Space Egg too. I returned to those two albums and like front to back, they're not as complex as Indigo Girls. Like, cause I feel like Liz Fair's like a meat and potatoes yeah. kind of songwriter. Um, but I like discover something new about those albums every time I listen totally. to them. And it's been, I don't know, thinking about Exile in Guyville. 
I've been listening to since I was like in middle school. Right? Yeah. So around the same time. Yeah. Um, my favorite, I have a deep kind of a favorite Indigo Girls album. It's Become You. It's the one that came out in 2002. I love that album. Wow. I haven't, I'd have to say I it's haven't heard really it. Good. Oh, and I started listening to their, one of their last albums mm-hmm. and it's really good too. And I'm like, I have been, I, it's, I think I've just had such a deep obsession with Swamp Ophelia that I need yeah. to move forward. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Now I you get spend, to experience it all over Now again. I want to have an I Love the Indigo Girls podcast. Yeah. Now you get to, that's, that's totally possible. This is going to do a spinoff. We could do yeah. a spinoff. Um, so I am, um, it's, what's so funny is that my obsessions have changed since I last wrote this, but I'm just going to go with these. I, I experienced an obsession with, um, YouTube videos of people reviewing their experiences with airlines. <laughs> so I became a fan of such people as Jeb Brooks of, uh, greenergrass.com, um, winging it with Paul Lucas <laughs> and, uh, Sam Chewy and, uh, British people like the points guy. Um, and they will like either they'll, they'll do things like earnestly review their experience on like an Amtrak train mm-hmm. and then review, like the first class cabin on Emirates that has, you know, like a separate bedroom and a private shower and, you know, like a, a personal assistant for the entirety of the flight. <laughs> but they do both of those with the same enthusiasm, like yeah. the same commitment to really absorbing every part of the experience. I just really like it. And I just, I'm just obsessed with airplanes and air. I, this, this, uh, like, it's really cute to see the evolution of this obsession. Yeah. Like where it started, it started, where did it start? It started with the USPS. Yes. Yeah. It's which started from forensic files. Yes. It's like a, a, it's, it's a chain. I almost said a human centipede. Uh Oh, it's not that. (laughs) It's disgusting. That I think whoever, (laughs) Whoever came up with the plot of Human Centipede needs to be on, like, a watch list. Honest to God. Like, that is, like, there's no reason. Even if you have that thought, why would you put the time and money into, like, putting that into the universe? Well, and everybody involved. You got, and you have, like, ideally you want to be at the front of the centipede, right? I don't want to have this discussion. You you don't want to be the caboose. I don't like thinking about this. Well, now you have. Uh, Okay, so... uh, Would you you rather... My hairstylist, Katie, says, I just walked through your brain with my muddy boots. That's what she says. Oh, cool. I like that. She talks about something nasty, which she does often. I'm looking at you, Katie. Um, My second obsession is... It's it's Jeff Bezos related. (laughs) So not only has... So if you're in the know, by the way, Mohammed bin Salman is the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. He's the one who texted Jeff Bezos a file on WhatsApp that they think installed spyware on his phone and ended up releasing private data from his phone. If you're in the know, though, you don't call him Mohammed bin Salman. You come call him MBS. That's oh. People in the know call him MBS. Okay. Noted. So I love that story. Um, can't tell you how much I'm team JB on this, obviously. But my real obsession is that my boy JB looks yoked lately there's this photo of him that came out in like a tight-fitting v-neck black t-shirt looking yeah. really buff he so looks good um, really he's my inspiration <clears throat> um yeah you're gonna find that very exciting so that's my second obsession i mean jeff bezos is like an overriding just like constant obsession you know who he looks like um who was that guy who was in that movie whiplash i was just that's exactly what i was thinking of uh, were you really yes did I you see that movie seen... whiplash no i didn't oh, see it was so good um, it What's was uh, J.K. Name? Simmons. Yes. Yeah, he looks he like looks J.K. Like JK Simmons. Simmons. That's yep. exactly right. He looks like a hotter J.K. Simmons. What? Do you like, um, I, I googled Jeff Bezos jacked. <laughs> you can't go wrong with that kind of a search. Okay. And my third and final obsession, this is actually 
somebody I just started supporting on Patreon. Speaking mm-hmm. of Patreon, um, her name is Sarah Hagale, I think is how you pronounce her last name. And I've shown you some of her work, but she's a graphic artist and I think a graduate of Auburn University in mm-hmm. Alabama. And she's a cartoonist. She is at Shaggy underscore on Instagram, S-H-A-G-E-Y underscore. Um, she makes these really sparse moving sad beautiful and sometimes really playful just like pencil drawings and there's one that i can't stop thinking about right now it's this really stark little pencil drawing of a dog with its ears kind of folded over its forehead with these sweet sad little eyes and i don't think i've ever felt so much looking at so little um i'll put it on our resources page but um there's just something i don't know what it is about her uh, about her work, but it's just, it's moving to me in this way. I can't really describe. It's kind of like when you cross, when you cross your arms and you feel like, Oh, this particular. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's I, like looking at a dog crossing their arms. Yes. And I, I her work is just so, evo- so evocative. And I know that's such a stupid word, but, mm. um, there's just something so beautiful about it. So yeah, Sarah Hegel, I just love her. I can't stop looking at her stuff right now. And if you support her on Patreon, she releases stuff like drawings exclusively to her cool. Patreon. Supporters, it's really cool. That's neat. That's it. Fuck yeah. Yeah, that's it. Well, now it's time for poetry. (laughs) Yeah, it's time to round this out with poetry. Oh, also, I uh, it's late in the game, but this is actually episode eight, and I spent the whole first part of this episode saying it was episode nine. Oh, really? Yeah, so sorry about that. Alternate universe. This is episode Episode eight. Eight. Yep. Okay. So this is called Litany in which certain things are crossed out by Richard Sykin. This is from his book Crush. Every morning the maple leaves. Every morning another chapter where the hero shifts from one foot to the other. Every morning the same big and little words all spelling out desire, all spelling out you will be alone always and then you will die. So maybe I wanted to give you something more than a catalog of non-definitive acts, something other than the desperation. Dear so-and-so, I'm sorry I couldn't come to your party. Dear so-and-so, I'm sorry I came to your party and seduced you and left you bruised and ruined, you poor sad thing. You want a better story. Who wouldn't? A forest then, beautiful trees, and a lady singing love on the water, love underwater, love, love, and so on. What a sweet lady. Sing, lady, sing. Of course, she wakes the dragon. Love always wakes the dragon, and suddenly... Flames everywhere. I can tell already you think I'm the dragon. That would be so like me, but I'm not. I'm not the dragon. I'm not the princess either. Who am I? I'm just a writer. I write things down. I walk through your dreams and invent the future. Sure, I sink the boat of love, but that comes later. And yes, I swallow glass, but that comes later. And the part where I push you flush against the wall and every part of your body rubs against the bricks, shut up, I'm getting to it. For a while, I thought I was the dragon. I guess I can tell you that now. And for a while, I thought I was the princess. Cotton candy pink, sitting there in my room in the tower of the castle, young and beautiful and in love and waiting for you with confidence. But the princess looks into her mirror and only sees the princess while I'm out here slogging through the mud, breathing fire and getting stabbed to death. Okay, so I'm the dragon. 
big deal. You still get to be the hero. You get magic gloves, a fish that talks. You get eyes like flashlights. What more do you want? I make you pancakes. I take you hunting. I talk to you as if you're really there. Are you there, sweetheart? Do you know me? Is this microphone live? Let me do it right for once. For the record, let me make a thing of cream and stars that becomes, you know the story, simply heaven. Inside your head, you hear a phone ringing, and when you open your eyes, only a clearing with deer in it. Hello, dear. Inside your head, the sound of glass, a car crash sound as the trucks roll over and explode in slow motion. Hello, darling. Sorry about that. Sorry about the bony elbows. Sorry we lived here. Sorry about the scene at the bottom of the stairwell and how I ruined everything by saying it out loud. Especially that, but I should have known. You see, I take the parts that I remember and stitch them back together to make a creature that will do what I say or love me back. I'm not really sure why I do it, but in this version, you are not feeding yourself to a bad man against a black sky prickled with small lights. I take it back. The wooden halls like caskets. These terms from the lower depths, I take them back. Here is the repeated image of the lover destroyed, crossed out, clumsy hands in a dark room crossed out. There is something underneath the floorboards crossed out, and here is the tabernacle reconstructed. Here is the part where everyone was happy all the time, and we were all forgiven, even though we didn't deserve it. Inside your head, you hear a phone ringing, and when you open your eyes, you're washing up in a stranger's bathroom, standing by the window in a yellow towel only 20 minutes away from the dirty thing you know. All the rooms of the castle except this one says someone and suddenly darkness, suddenly only darkness in the living room, in the broken yard, in the back of the car as the lights go by, in the airport bathrooms gurgle and flush bathed in a pharmacy of unnatural light, my hands looking weird, my face weird, my feet too far away. And then the airplane, the window seat over the wing with the view of the wing and a little foil bag of peanuts. I arrived in the city and you met me at the station, smiling in a way that made me frightened. Down the alley, around the arcade, up the stairs of the building, to the little room with the broken faucets, your drawings, all your things. I looked out the window and said, this doesn't look that much different from home because it didn't. But then I noticed the black sky and all those lights. We walked through the house to the elevated train. All these buildings, all that glass and the shiny, beautiful mechanical wind. We were inside the train car when I started to cry. You were crying too, smiling and crying in a way that made me even more hysterical. You said I could have anything I wanted, but I just couldn't say it out loud. Actually, you said love for you is larger than the usual romantic love. It's like a religion. It's terrifying. No one will ever want to sleep with you. Okay, if you're so great, you do it. Here's the pencil, make it work. If the window is on your right, you are in your own bed. If the window is over your heart and it is painted shut, then we are breathing river water. Build me a city and call it Jerusalem. Build me another and call it Jerusalem. We have come back from Jerusalem where we found not what we sought. So do it over. Give me another version, a different room, another hallway, the kitchen painted over and over, another bowl of soup. The entire history of human desire takes about 70 minutes to tell. Unfortunately, 
unfortunately, we don't have that kind of time. Forget the dragon. Leave the gun on the table. This has nothing to do with happiness. Let's jump ahead to the moment of epiphany and gold light as the camera pans to where the action is, lakeside and backlit, and it falls into frame, close enough to see the blue rings of my eyes as I say something ugly. I never liked that ending either. More love streaming out the wrong way. And I don't want to be the kind that says the wrong way. But it doesn't work, these erasures, this constant refolding of the pleats. There were some nice parts, sure, all lemon drop and melon ball, laughing in silk pajamas and the grains of sugar on the toast. Love, love, or whatever, take a number. I'm sorry, it's such a lousy story. Dear Forgiveness, you know that recently we've had our difficulties and there are many things I want to ask you. I tried that one time high school, second lunch, and then again, years later in the chlorinated pool, I am still talking to you about help. I still do not have these luxuries. I have told you where I'm coming from, so put it together. We clutch our bellies and roll on the floor. When I say this, it should mean laughter, not poison. I want more applesauce. I want more seats reserved for heroes. Dear forgiveness, I saved a plate for you. Quit milling around the yard and come inside. Wow. That's it's incredible. I didn't mean for it to be so Thank long. you so much for sharing it. It's a lot heavier than I remember. Yeah. It's it's incredibly it's just it's an incredible, it's a beautifully written poem. I just feel like the first time I read it I felt like I was looking at a painting. And I was watching a painter repaint things and tell a story and wanting to tell the right story or wanting to tell, I think as writers, we like oscillate between wanting to tell the right story and wanting to tell the truth and wanting to tell our version. Yeah, and, definitely. And I just feel like n no other poem I've ever read has ever like truly encapsulated it that way. So I usually like to share poems that are, beautiful and and you know evocative or have something to do with you know, like identities that I share or something like that but this is a poem that I read for the first time when I was in graduate school or when I was getting my master's and um it was in a, a poetry class I was taking and I don't think I would have ever been drawn to this otherwise but I had to kind of sit with it for a minute while I was studying it and there's something kind of funny and biting and really masculine about it that I don't totally identify with. There's like this refusal in its structure to be beautiful, but I still, I just like it. I think it's, mm. I think it's interesting. And it's called The Difference Between Pepsi and Coke. It's by David Lehman. He wrote it in the early 80s, I think. Can't wait. Can't swim, uses credit cards and pills to combat intolerable feelings of inadequacy. Won't admit his dread of boredom, chief impulse behind numerous marital infidelities. Looks fat in jeans, mouths cliches with confidence, breaks mother's plates and fights, buys when the market is too high, and panics during the inevitable descent. Still, Pop can always tell the subtle difference between Pepsi and Coke, has defined the darkness of red at dawn, memorized the splash of poppies along deserted railway tracks, and opposed the war in Vietnam months before the students, years before the politicians and press. Give him a minute with a roadmap and he will solve the mystery of bloodshot eyes. Transport him to the mountaintop and watch him calculate the heaviness and height of the local heavens. Needs no prompting to give money to his kids. 
speaks French fluently and tourist German, sings Schubert in the shower, plays pinball in Paris, knows the new maid steals and forgives her. Wow. It's, it's, it's almost like a, it's almost nasty. I think it's, 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 it's something that's always kind of stuck with me as being kind of like nanny, nanny, boo, boo, like kind of snotty. And I like, yeah, it. I like it. It reminds me of like, um, I am not a big Charles Bukowski fan, but it reminds me of this sort of like, uh, there's a little machismo. Yeah. Yeah. Like, edge to it. Yeah. It's like, it's like, um, deliberately resisting aesthetic beauty. Like there's not even like I pronouns in it. There's, or, there's not even, there are no pronouns in it. It's like absent of people, but full of people at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I'm usually not drawn to stuff like that, but that one, I always just thought, I remember I, 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 I thought it was really funny when I read it the first time and, and, uh, I still do. When you listen to it, do you think it's one single person? Yes. Yeah. Do you? Yes. Yeah. I think it's, it's, yeah, I've, I've, I like that one a lot. Do you think, who do you think it is? Do you think it's like the, in my head, I was like, oh, it's the writer's dad, right? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, uh, I think it's like a, a, a caricature of something and I don't really know who it's a caricature of. I don't have a point of reference for it, but mm-hmm. I, I still just really enjoy it. Yeah. 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 It's like, I don't know the reference point. I don't know what it's lampooning or sending up or critiquing, but I feel the spirit of it. You mm-hmm. know, it's like a, a, a work that's in a different language or something. Mm-hmm. You ready to wrap this thing up? Yeah, I'm in. All right. Episode eight in the books. Thank you guys very much for joining us. Thank you. Always. Thank you for your heaps and mountains of support. And uh, those of y'all who are Patreon supporters, of a certain tier. I think it's actually elevated mood and up. <laughs> uh, we will have a, uh, a, uh, listener question bonus segment. Yes. Out. Oh yeah. Our bonus episode next is, week is purely generated from our Patreon, uh, questions. Yes. And so we'll be sending that special private episode up. You only get it if you're a Patreon supporter. That's right. Um, and we also, um, remind you that we have, um, not we have Mo has put on this incredible Facebook group yes. called the manic fam. Yeah. Please do join that. If you want to engage. And obviously that is free. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. That is free. For all of you. And um, I, I really am lurking around. like, a, like I a, just joined it. Well, I, oh, actually, awesome. I requested to join. We'll see if you I get, hope I, get a, I hope I get approved. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see if you make it past the iron gate that yeah. is patrolled by Mo. And I really do. I lurk around like a like a dad watching his kids play at the sandbox or something. <laughs> I'm lurking around. Um, all right, guys. All right. Stay thank you, guys. hydrated and not manic. If you are manic, that's okay. But, like, be safe. I don't know. <laughs> We love you. Love y'all.